This is the voice of the report of the week, signing on. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone listening. This is VORW International, the voice of the report of the week. Thank you for tuning in to the newest podcast, the newest program, the newest show, this Thursday, the 20th of June, 2019, the year being. So thank you for tuning in and joining in, and I hope this week that has uh, since elapsed anyway has been a fine one for you. Hope it has. If not, hope the next week to follow shall be good. In today's program, we're going to be switching up the order a little bit, just for the heck of it. I, I thought to myself, well, why not? I really do not expect there to be any sort of mass protest or any anything to that extent. If I decide to just go ahead and read the topic suggestions and all of the miscellaneous uh, points and, and thoughts first, and then we get to the answers to the question in regards to technological, well, really just technology in general, where I was saying I posed a philosophical question last week, and I said, do you think uh, we control technology or does technology control us? And I tried to leave it very open-ended, and uh, we have some good answers, and we have some good topic suggestions as well. So we have those. We're going to get to those. And otherwise, a few developments and miscellaneous thoughts I want to clear up first, and then we'll just get right into things, because there's some good topics. There's some good things on the way coming in. Uh, First things first. You know, these are just my genuine thoughts, and uh, of course, and I, I always like to say this as kind of a a little bit of a disclaimer, and I think you kind of, you'll get it, where, I mean, you know, if you look at your own thoughts, right, they're ever-changing. Sometimes, yes, you have uh, viewpoints, or uh, a certain, whatever, you see something a certain way, and it's set in stone. Uh, But, you know, you have one thing, you look at it this way, you have a certain attitude towards something, and next week it's completely different. I mean, of course, there is always that degree of variability when it comes down to our own thoughts. Things change, and I think that's for the best. I I think it's good that that certain things are not set in stone. And, uh, you know, our viewpoints, all that stuff changes. Uh, Anyway, one thing that is changing... First and foremost, next week I cannot guarantee that I'm going to be doing a show next week, uh, next Thursday, that's that's the 27th. I very likely, I am going to do a music show then, and I still do, I still do the music shows every single Thursday, but I know that's not, you know, the appeal to that is more limited, and I understand. Uh, so if you are a listener to that, there will be one. But as for the talk program, I just don't know if I'll be able to do it. You know, lately, I've been trying to balance my time, you know? You're trying to manage things. You're, you're juggling, of course, your personal life, everything that I have to do right off-camera. Because it's not like there's just a shut-off switch, and as soon as I turn the microphone off or the camera off, I'm just sitting there, you know, in the corner uh, until the next review or podcast comes along. Of course, I'm doing many things in my own time. So... Of course, having to, you know, manage that and do so, do so the right way, not to rush anything and to make sure you handle everything, you know, as it needs to be. That's most important. 
personal life always comes first. I think that should really go without saying in, in life, no matter what. Look, take care of yourself. Take care of, take care of your family. Uh, take care of the people and things nearest and dearest to you. That comes first. Always, always should, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, but anyway, so with that, uh, trying to do stuff with, of course, the main channel, I might have to just, you know, skip a week and go from there. Uh, because the amount of time that is really dedicated toward this show on my end each week is huge. Uh, I mean, I really, <laughs> I don't think I do a good enough job expressing how much time I usually put into this show week after week. And, you know, sometimes I really do feel, and look, this is just my personal opinion, uh, that the amount of time that I, I put into this show really isn't worth it. And uh, you might be saying to yourself, well, what, do you, what do you mean exactly by, by not being worth it? Uh, by that, sometimes I just feel, I feel <clears throat> not necessarily disappointed in the end product, uh, but sometimes disappointed in myself. And uh, I, I don't know, it's a hard feeling to describe, but that doesn't really reflect any stance on this program or anyone that listens to it. I always enjoy doing the show. And uh, and all of that. I, I've look. I've already expressed my uh, reservations compared to this show versus the channel. But both are equally important, and uh, we cannot lose sight in regards to that. Uh, they're different, right? And that's all that it comes down to. They're very different. Uh, but anyway, I was getting down to time, and you know when it comes down to time. I mean, we have time, we have free time, time management, right? Using your time effectively, uh, juggling one thing or the next, and so on. It, time is a very, very, very precious resource. Very precious. I don't really think that it is true to always be able to manage your time. No, that's not true. There are always going to be cases and instances no matter how hard you try, where you're going to squander your time in one way or another. A lot of the time, it's not going to be intentional, and it just happens. And sometimes we end up dedicating lots of energy, lots of resources onto something that, you know, you feel is worth it. And in the end, it may not necessarily be. Like, for instance, one thing that I was doing, and this is the next uh, change I have to announce, that, you know, you put a ton of work into something that you think pays off when it really is inconsequential. And it's disappointing, but, you know, I, you have to shrug it off. I mean, that's what I have to do anyway. Uh, where you have to realize, yes, all of the hours that you put into something is worthless. You know, that's not something that you want to hear, right? That's not something that you ever want to hear, but it, you, you hear it, it happens, happens to all of us, and it's time wasted. Uh, so one thing that I'm going to be stopping, and I, I really do not know how many people this will truly apply to, was aside from, uh, for the most part, shortwave reports, just because most of the people that listen on shortwave you know, go stop with the shortwave, right? Most people that 
listen on shortwave have no other way of getting information. So, you know, that's an aside. Uh, but otherwise, I'm going to have to stop replying, at least as often as I do, to the correspondence that was sent to me via email. Uh, because most of the time, historically, I say anyway, I would always try to respond to uh, most of the correspondence. Now, granted, I you know, not always, and of course, it always comes down circumstantially, uh, but at least I try to send, you know, whatever, a thank you message, um, give a schedule, some of the links, all that stuff, in email. And unfortunately... You know, I would spend hours doing this because it wasn't just a blanket thing. I would try to individualize it. Uh, but the amount of people that would actually seem receptive to it and the amount of possible uh, regular listeners that that type of response would garner was little to none, you know? So it's... I mean, I feel like I wasted literal days uh, because you go back from all the shows and all the time that I spent doing that and the actual results that it yielded, which are marginal, if not completely inconsequential. Anyway, I wasted a ton of time for nothing. But it is what it is. And just because I'm not going to really be replying to emails... Now look, that doesn't mean that you cannot get in contact with me anymore. If there is something that you really need an urgent reply... I'll be seeing everything that gets sent to the, the inbox. You know, just because you don't get a reply to something doesn't mean that I haven't seen it. If you send an email to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com, that's the address, of course, yes, I will see it, of course. I always I read all the stuff that comes in, and that's where that stands, and that's what's going to continue to stand. It's just that I won't be able to reply to everything anymore. Uh, but that doesn't mean, uh, you know, this guy doesn't care, and so on and so forth. Of course, I'm still going to read everything. And when I ask for topic suggestions and responses for the program, uh, that doesn't mean that just because you will not get a written reply, uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not going to read it and I'm just going to throw it in the trash. If you listen to the show, very likely than not, uh, you, may very, you may very well hear your reply right on the air, right on this show. I remember there were a few times that someone would write in and I would send off a reply. You know, like, let's say they had a question about something. I sent a written reply and it wasn't good enough. You know, it is what it is. It's just a commentary on the state of things. You know, you feel, look, if I, and I will, stop replying to the things and all the emails, because it builds up. It's like 500 a week. Uh, that come in. So, you know, it's a lot of time. And I stop doing that. It's not like the world is going to end and uh, the earth itself will implode. It's not going to happen. Life continues on, the show continues on, and that's where it stands. Uh, but sometimes, you know, I feel like I'm I'm not really going out of my way, but I was just trying to do the little thing above to, to try, and, and then it's not good enough. But people are people. That's just the way that it is. Anyway, I'm just kind of rambling here. Time is an important thing. Try your best to make the most of it. And uh, that may be a, a subject that I will try to hone in on a little bit going forward. All right, now first things first, as we get into the show today, uh, right away I want to just say there is no question 
for today's program. However, uh, all that I ask, you know the equivalent, you have some radio programs that uh, have open phones, right? They open up the phone lines, and they just take phone calls about anything, you know, whatever you want to talk about, be that, I don't know, any anything that you want, what's going through your mind right now? Uh, so that's what this is. This is an open phones type of deal this week. Anything you want to talk about, go for it. Email is v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. What do you want to talk about? Is there anything you heard about in the news that you want to share your viewpoint, opinion on? Any good philosophical trains of thought that are going through your mind? Anything going on in society? Uh, well, well, anything going on, anything that you want to talk about, any questions, uh, miscellaneous pieces of feedback, are there any pieces of knowledge, uh, tidbits, did you read something interesting on Wikipedia the other day, listen to anything good on the shortwave, <laughs> or anything in between, so if there is, feel free to share it, and if you just want to say hello, let me know that you're listening, V-O-R-W. I-N-F-O at gmail.com. I've been doing this recently, and I finally mastered the NATO phonetic alphabet. Uh, so I'll spell it out phonetically. Practice makes perfect. That's Victor, Oscar, Romeo, Whiskey, India, November, Foxtrot, Oscar at gmail.com. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. Uh, with that, we're going to be getting into some of our miscellaneous topic suggestions. And again, anything miscellaneous that you want to talk about, share, anything, go for it. Shoot me an email, keep it long, short, anything that you want to do. And even if it doesn't get a reply, it doesn't mean that I haven't seen it. Please bear that in mind. All right, so anyway, the first email coming in uh, has a question. It's from Alvaro, and he says, Three weeks ago, I graduated from Harvard which truly has changed my life in so many ways. To interject, congratulations. And he continues anyway. Uh, now that I am in the workforce, I was listening to the news and ran into a story about a Parkland High School shooting survivor having his acceptance to Harvard rescinded due to a variety of racist and sexist comments he made while in high school. A lot of people I know are arguing about the ability and right for universities to rescind student acceptances due to their past actions. Two years ago, several future Harvard students had their acceptances rescinded due to racist and bigoted memes, which were leaked from a social media group chat. When that happened, no one really talked too much about the right for Harvard to rescind these students. Most people I knew simply thought it was funny that the kids were rescinded due to dumb meme. In all of these cases, I felt that the university had the right to rescind the students. However, not all people agree with me. Regardless of the context of the past comments or actions, universities rescinding students' acceptances ruin those students' lives. And I don't know if that fully is right. My question... Do you think universities should rescind people's acceptances due to comments or actions they made or did on the internet, or if they should even have that right? Well, here's my thoughts. You know what? I agree with you. I really do. Uh, they have every right 
to rescind uh, someone's... No, does that mean that it is the right thing to do? No. But are they within a, you know, legally? Yes, absolutely, they can. Doesn't necessarily mean if one agrees or disagrees, uh, but they are able to do that. They are a private enterprise, and you have to remember, right, higher education here in the United States is a private enterprise. It's really, and look, this gets to the whole argument, is it really, it is a business, right? We know that. Uh, sometimes I I think it's kind of, but then, you you know, it's it's a big, it's a big issue, right? If you make it free, which part of me does think, I mean, knowledge in that certain extent really should be, uh, but then how are you going to motivate someone to teach and, you know, keep it going and so on and so forth, but... If it was publicly funded, that would be a whole different story. But then you could argue, what about the quality of it? And, you know, you get you get into a whole rabbit hole right there that I don't really feel like delving into this evening. So we'll just keep it at this. You know, it's a private enterprise. It is no different than platforms like YouTube saying, look, we, we do not uh, want this type of content on the platform. People will pitch a fit, but legally, they have every right to do it. Well, some people will say, well, uh, you know, I think that this is uh, discriminatory toward those, uh, let's just say, with this stance or viewpoint. Because there could be other platforms that will support those viewpoints and will ban or, you know, remove or rescind people uh, with the viewpoints that you disagree with. Again, doesn't make it right, but that's how it is with private enterprise. Uh, they have that ability to do that. Uh, you know, same thing like how a place has a dress code sometimes. You know, you're seeing that less and less. In a way, of course, <laughs> it's a silly example and on a much, much more insignificant level. Right, if some place has a dress code, you remember the old saying, no shirt, no shoes, no service? Well, that's the same thing. They are, they have the right that if they don't want to serve someone who, you know, isn't dressed this way or that way, they don't have to. Do I necessarily agree with that? No, you know, it, that's, that's the way that they want to do things. And at the same time, if they want to bend the rules, they can do that too. Like last, uh, a couple of weeks ago now, God, how time flies. I was at this one restaurant in uh, the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania, and it was a steakhouse. I kind of mentioned this in my video, but I'm not going to assume people watched it. It was called the Double Cut Steakhouse, and anyway, it had this dress code that said business casual. Now, I always imagine business casual as being like, I, this is from like a an men's dress code, Wearing, like, maybe khakis uh, and a button-down shirt, you know, tucked in, something nice. Uh, some slacks and a dress shirt, you know, again, tucked in, nicer stuff, but, you know, you do not need a tie and jacket. No, for me, my personal, uh, you know, I, I wore a full suit, of course. It's, it, it doesn't have to have any dress code, and I'll wear a suit. And uh, I was wearing a full suit and tie, sat down. And I was looking around, and no one else there was uh, dressed in business casual attire. There was a table. There was literally some guy in a, a swimsuit in this steakhouse, 
Anyway, I wonder how he wasn't freezing, because the air conditioning was blasting in. Maybe he was. And there were some other guys, you know, in, like, tank tops and stuff. Very casual attire. But, of course, this establishment chose to bend the rules and say, well, you know, we're not going to enforce it. But, of course, if, let's say, the management decided to get more strict and said, all right, look, you guys either change out of the swimsuit and put something nicer on or beat it, well, they have the right to do it. Certain things I do not agree with. And, of course, it should always be remembered that free speech does have its limits, right? You cannot go out and make threats against someone's life or well-being and say, well, I'm fine with that, free speech. Or go in a movie theater and shout fire and cause a stampede that injures or kills someone and say, what, I was just free speech, right? Anyone with a brain knows that there are limitations. It's common sense. But those are my thoughts when it comes down to that. Thank you for your question. Uh, next, going over to another topic, a completely different one, Maddie in Kansas. So here's my question. How do you personally feel about insects and arachnids? Do you like or dislike them? And if you do like them, what are a couple of your favorite or least favorite ones? Well, here's what I have to say. Insects and arachnids are all extremely vital to ecosystems and the food chains and all of that, right? We know that if all of them, just because we don't like them, disappeared, oh, you know, forget it. It would, it would be a terrible, it would be destructive. Could possibly end the world, to be honest. So they are extremely vital. So even with the creepiest of creepy crawlies out there, uh, I'll, I'll live with them. I'll deal with them. You know, it's not like if I had a genie and had these magic wishes, I would will them all away. No, no, they're very important. So, number one, I understand and I, I, I respect them for that in a silly way, you know. Uh, to be honest, most of them are completely inoffensive to me. They don't bother me, and I don't bother them. There's one... I suppose it's an insect, I would imagine, even if it isn't, and I'm not going to look it up right now, and if it isn't, I apologize, but it's just the first thing that popped up into my mind, uh, was the centipede, especially the house centipede. That is a very creepy creature, and I'll admit, I, I, I've killed a few. I have. They're, they are scary-looking things, and I try... Yeah, I try to understand that they are not going to harm me. As a matter of fact, they are... In a house. Some of the best... Some of the best things that you could actually have, that despite their, their unsightly appearance, they will clean it out. They will get rid of many other insects that are pests. They do it at night which is bad for me, but good for most people, leave you completely alone. They are not interested in you. They'll mind their own business. So I've been trying to gain a better appreciation of house centipedes, but boy, are they creepy looking. I mean, they're creepy, but at the same time, I do I do have to take a little second to admire all the, all the pairs of legs that they have. 
and just how fast, if they really choose to, they can scurry around. I mean, they can dart so fast if they wish. Most of the time, they just kind of creep around, but if they want to go full speed, boy, can they. So, I understand. And uh, it's a, that's always been a tough one, historically. <laughs> the, the house centipedes. It's a real love-hate relationship. Uh, admittedly, more on the side of hate. It's a, it's a real tough one right there. All right. Sean over in Canada, he's a regular listener. Uh, he's, you know, he's uh, sent in some emails. And he's been trying to dress nicer, which uh, was really nice to see. He made the transformation over to suits. And, uh, you know, he's... He's, uh, he's just doing great. He's wearing what he wants to wear. It's going over really well. Uh, but he did have a question, a, a sartorial question. He said, this is in regards to uh, suits and, and the button configuration. Why did they take our buttons away from us? Why is it so hard for me to find a three-button suit? Because I'm a tall, thin guy and I need it. Two-button? Single-button? Uh, I don't want to invest in suits to look casual. I want to look formal. That's why I bought a suit. And uh, he had a longer email. He was saying that he was looking around for suits that well, suit him well. And he was going with some of the more modern suits at first, slim fit, and so on. But he was not a fan of the two-button suits. And he was saying, you know, he's taller and thin. And the two-button suits just do not fit his, his frame well at all. And he found an old uh, three-button suit, and it fit great. And he's saying, well, why, why can't I find the three-button suits anymore? And you know, it's a shame. Three-button suits were uh, popular first in the 90s. They, they were kind of there in the 90s, mid-90s. Then they went away a little bit, and then they came back in the mid-2000s again. Like, you start looking at stuff from 2007 uh, to maybe 2000, well, maybe 2011 even. Uh, and you will see three-button suits. They were very popular then. But, you know, it changes, right? Fashion changes, styles change. And uh, that's just the way that it is. It is always fleeting. Always. And, you know, they try and do the next thing, the next best thing. Now, you can still get a three-button jacket, even a brand new one, but it will be exceedingly difficult. If you have a lot of money to burn, Brooks Brothers had a good three-button jacket, but, you know, that's if you want to blow a thousand bucks. I would not recommend that. I would highly discourage it, but if, you know, if, whatever, you work in high finance and you have the money to throw around... But even Brooks Brothers quality, I mean, I have it out for them, but it has gone downhill in my opinion. But you can go to the thrift stores, and you'll still find a bunch of three-button suits. Now, I've always liked them. Now, I've always been a fan of the three-button jacket configurations. The, uh, of course, there is always the long-standing rule with them, where you have the sometimes, always, never rule. Which is, uh, you know, that goes for the buttons that say, all right, the top button, sometimes button it. The middle button, always. Never button the bottom one. Right? That's one of those fashion rules. Now, if you really want, button all three buttons. Someone is not going to chastise you in the, the street. 
Um, but I always liked the three-button suits. I remember just as a little personal anecdote, when I uh, first kind of started getting into the suits, uh, you know, that was going back to the mid-2000s. And, of course, back then, that's when the three-button suits were popular. So even up until, like, 2011, a lot of the suits that I had were three-button ones. I remember I used to have this black pinstripe suit that was three buttons that I would wear then. And it was a great suit. I liked the three buttons. I had a gray suit that was three buttons. That was another good one. I had a brown pinstripe suit uh, that was also in the three-button configuration. And again, just a really good suit. So I've always been a fan of that the, the three-button suits. Those are always good. The one... Well, the one, the one jacket style that I like now, there's two, and I've been a fan of these for a while, is uh, the two-button suits that are from the 80s and 90s. And you compare a jacket from the 80s and the 1990s, and you can tell real quick by the way the buttons are. Where on the older jackets that I prefer, the buttons are lower, and actually the jacket is longer, which is good. I like the longer suit jackets. I don't like the ones like that go down to your waist, and I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the style. If you could pull it off, that's great, and wear it with pride. Uh, but I just like wearing the longer jackets. Anyway, the buttons are lower, and as a result, uh, the lapels, of course, are bigger and wider. And I like those wide lapels. Sometimes people will joke, and they'll say, like, you can land an airplane on them, but that's fine. The, the wider, the better. As long as they are not wide to the point where they are gaudy, like those 1970s, you know, game show suits and those types of things. Uh, but I'm a fan of those. And then I like the double-breasted suits with the 6 by one button configuration. And those are a tough find. I would say that there are almost no, no places that even make those suits anymore. So those are a... Uh, very, very limited. Only place you can get them anymore is the thrift stores, uh, because you cannot find them at all. Unless you can go to a custom tailor, then, you know, fork up the money and you'll get whatever you want. But I'm a fan of those, but wear whatever you want. So I hope that answers your question. I'm going to take a quick water break, and then we'll uh, go over to the next. Rob is uh, checking in. He just says, I have a topic suggestion. I mentioned that you have not left... I, re I remember you have mentioned that you have not left the U.S. on too many occasions. I'm interested to know where you would like to travel to. Uh, I think you'd thoroughly enjoy a trip around Europe. There is no end to the culture and history to embrace. I'm from Ireland and currently live in the Middle East, though it's only now that I'm far away I realize how much you can see and do in Europe in a short period of time even with a limited budget. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Rob. I think Europe would be one of those places uh, to, to be able to go to and visit. And, uh, of course, you know, there's there's so much of, of Europe I would like to see one day. Uh, of course, France, Germany, uh, most of Central, Western Europe. And, uh, I mean, you would have to... I think it would have to be something that would be done through multiple trips. Either that or just one long thing. You know, because it, it would be one of those places you would like to take some time to uh, really be able to see. Because the one type of tourism that I never got was uh, the type that would be 
Like having the power through something, you know? Well, I want to see it just to see it. And, uh, you know, right, go see it and you just power through it. All right, I saw it. But is there really any appreciation to it? It's like you're just rushing through everything just because that's what you have to do. Oh, yeah, I went and I saw the, uh, whatever. I was in London and I saw the sights there. I, you know, I saw it to see it. Did you really have the appreciation? Did you really enjoy it, most importantly? And if you didn't, then was it really worth it? I suppose that that would only be for the individual who took the trip to decide. A quick question from Tommy, more of a suggestion. He just said, for your insomnia, have you ever tried melatonin? I have, and it was not good. Yeah, you know, people will sometimes complain that it affects their dreams. It did mine. And it caused nightmares, uh, uh, very graphic ones that I don't want to ever risk having again, at least willingly. If there's something that I take that would cause those, I'll avoid it. Uh, one thing that works for me anyway, to certain extents, because, you know, I'll try the different things and see what works, what doesn't. Diphenhydramine, uh, you know, commonly known as Benadryl, all that stuff. Uh, that works. You just have to be careful with it, and the, the one thing is always, if you're going out to buy any, always look, because it is sold as a sleep aid and as allergy medicine. And it is the exact same thing, okay? You go to CVS next time and go find, you know, find one thing that has the the pills for, uh, you know, allergy relief, you know, look at the ingredient It'll say diphenhydramine hydrochloride, and then go ahead and look at the sleep aid. And what'll it say? The diphenhydramine hydrochloride. Same exact thing, same dose, 25 milligrams. Sometimes you'll find the ones that are the liquid, and it'll be 50 milligrams. Just don't take too many because you will you will be in a world of misery. So I've read, and. Uh, I mean, again, it's one of those things that works sometimes, but sometimes it doesn't. It makes you tired. And it'll sometimes make you groggy, but it'll help sometimes with sleep. For me, I emphasize the word sometimes, but something is better than nothing. Uh, Anyway, we have two more. Elise in New Jersey, uh, keeping it in in the realm of of certain medicines, uh, says, I was surprised to hear you mention doxycycline mono. In uh, last week's program, I had to take it due to a tick-borne illness uh, during hiking because doxycycline is used to treat, uh, of course, acne, but also it has a purpose uh, for treating certain types of infections and illnesses, uh, such as those that can be received from ticks. It all depends on the doctor's discretion, but it does work there. Uh, but anyway, she mentioned, have you ever had the, the, the nausea side effect? And uh, yes, when I took it, it was rare, but it would happen. And uh, I forget what I what I did. I forget that, because this was years ago. I forget that if I solved it by taking it on an empty stomach or taking something with it. I forget if it was one or the other. But I remember if I didn't do one of those things, I would be very nauseous. Uh, to the point where sometimes I would be convinced that I was going to throw up any minute. I would have to get up, I would be just, you know, hanging out by the bathroom just because I felt that it was inevitable. And thankfully it wasn't, but you know, when it feels so real, you're not going to risk it. You're not going to sit there and just wait. 
because by the time it gets to that, it's usually too late. There's only that one experience that I had where I was, you know, regular morning, all of a sudden there was a nausea, and this time it wasn't just nausea, but it was contained and end of story. Done deal. Uh, finally, we have a topic from Joshua, who says, What are your thoughts on movie theaters charging high prices for food at concession stands? Are they taking advantage of customers to gain more money for food, or do you think that they need to raise prices in order for their theater to remain open? I think it is the first. I, I think it's just to take advantage uh, be, and I, I say that because I remember reading, now how credible it was, I don't know, but I remember it was a good article anyway, that was saying, yes, while, you know, over the last few decades, attendance of movie theaters has gone down, Netflix has not killed movie theaters. You know, that there is a certain percentage of the population who uh, likes going to movie theaters, and they go. It doesn't matter. Netflix, all that stuff exists. Uh, the, you know, the Amazon streaming services, the ever-so-neglected movie service on YouTube. I've actually thrown a couple bucks their way once or twice to watch it. A couple films. By the way, if you ever want to watch free movies, look, check YouTube. Believe it or not, they have a free movies section. Uh, most of them are going to be obscure titles, but look, you're going to find some diamonds in the rough. I guarantee you there. If you ever want to watch Legally Blonde, Legally Blonde 2, uh, they are there. You can watch them for free on YouTube. And I kid you not, I'm not even saying that as a joke. They're legitimately good movies. They're probably some of the best ones you can get for free. Uh, they're actually, they're good. It's not just a girl's movie or anything. It's, it's, it's legitimately good. Reese Witherspoon, she did a wonderful job in both of those films. Off topic. Uh, but anyway, it's because it's it's why that's how they make so much money. Same thing at Yankee Stadium, uh, the baseball games. If you've ever been to Yankee Stadium or probably any major sports venue, you know how much they charge for a hot dog and uh, maybe some a burger or some fried stuff or a beer uh, that you can consume and imbibe whilst watching the ball game. An incredible amount. Is it because baseball is dying? No. Plenty of people still are a fan of it. Is it still necessarily America's pastime as it once was? No. But there's lots of baseball fans. It's a huge sport. Uh, huge numbers of people go to Yankee Stadium to watch a ball game. And they're not in any shortage of money. But because they are the only game in town... They can go ahead, charge up prices as they see fit. And that's where it stands. Same thing with gas stations. Uh, near the International Airport in Orlando, there was a gas station that was charging close to $5 a gallon of gasoline. And they did so exclusively because all of the rental car dealers nearby have that rule where you have to return it with a full tank of gas. Well, now, if you have to do that, you go there, and you pay exorbitant amounts of money to fill up the gas tank. Is it because there's a shortage of gas? Are people not driving anymore? No. It's just greed getting the best of people, sadly. 
You're listening to VORW International, the voice of the Report of the Week. Questions, comments, feedback, reception reports, and program comments. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. That's V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. Likewise, remember that today's program question, there is none. Open phones, really open emails, but you know what I mean. Talk about anything that you want. Whatever it is, doesn't even need to be a question or a topic suggestion. Just talk. Whatever you want to talk about, go for it. So it's open, V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. No restrictions whatsoever. Just talk about anything. And uh, that's where it stands. Any pieces of knowledge, anything you want to share, uh, go for it. If there's something, if there's a good song that you listened to and you want to know my thoughts on it, uh, it's not guaranteed, but go for it. Send send it over. Maybe I'll uh, check it out and talk about it next week, or whenever whenever I do the next show, be that next week or the week after. All right. Anyway, going over to the question for last week's program uh, that again asked in regards to technology, uh, if it was controlling us or if we control it. We had some good responses, and a few points, questions, and pieces of info. So let's get to those. Another sip of water there. First one comes from Tim. He says, hello. I enjoyed the new podcast while on vacation in Poland. I'm traveling for my cousin's traditional Polish wedding. When I arrived at my grandfather's house... I noticed that he uses a shortwave radio for news instead of a TV. He tuned in at 7 a.m. to see what was going on in Poland. Technology definitely seems generational to me. I did notice a couple kids who were glued to their mobile phones during the wedding. People who were in their 20s had iPhones as well, but they didn't seem to use them as much. Hopefully the newest generation doesn't get too dependent on electronics, to the point where it's controlling them. It, it is a, a generational thing, you know? And of course, there are always outliers. Uh, you know, like, look at me. I mean, I sit here listening to the radio, though I do have a smartphone, granted. And, uh, but, you know, everyone has their preferences. And it also depends, I think, geographically. Like, for instance, someone in East Africa, in an area that's just developing still, may still primarily get their news, uh, let's say, from the BBC World Service on shortwave, or the Voice of America, or many of the domestic radio stations, they're broadcast on shortwave. They still may, may listen to that. Uh, just, you know, you listen to FM radio, or uh, whatever, you listen religiously to the VORW podcast, or whatever, whatever it is that you listen to, or however you get your news and information. Yeah, it's, it can vary by, uh, of course, geography, where you are, but generational as well. When it comes down to the youngest generations, again, I think it depends on where you are. Maybe the prevalence of smartphones is not necessarily as big in Poland as it is here. Though I imagine that there are many, many, many people who use smartphones in Poland. Here in the U.S., maybe the attitude of consumerism, who knows, Everyone has them. Uh, You know, and unfortunately, I do not have 
much faith in the youngest generation, I'm talking people who are kids right now, uh, to be not dependent on electronics because it's all around them. You know, it is. And that's literally all that they know. You can't blame them for the circumstances that they grew up in and how the world is when they were born. They had nothing they, they, they had nothing to do with that. Uh, it's just the circumstances that they entered this world into. But all you can do is just see, see how time ends up being. It might not be for the, the best, but it might not be for the worst either. Time will tell. We have a listener in Switzerland who's checking in. I'm going to clear this out first so to make some room. Okay. And he says, I guess we all agree that phones can be addicting if used extensively for distraction and entertainment. I would say so. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And he says, As I've been using Android phones since smartphones existed, I have a highly customized setup with many apps, notifications turned off. It's amazing when you think of it, how much integrated your smartphone can be into various hard and software. I still remember when I used the YouTube app for the first time to remote control my TV. It felt like something from the future. Other than that, I can use my phone as an input device to fill up my Trello boards or check the status of things like to-do lists and projects. I have a few dozen uh, Spotify playlists which come in handy in various occasions and are not bound to one particular device. Technology has given us a lot of liberty, and I think it is an obligation of each user to get proficient with it as best as possible. Otherwise, one might indeed get controlled by technology in the end. Interesting viewpoint that you have, that you feel if you are familiar enough with it, then perhaps you will not let it control you because you know what you're doing. It's an interesting, interesting viewpoint. Thank you, sir. Going over to Greg in Tennessee, I believe in Gallatin, Tennessee specifically. And he says, I think the basic answer is no, technology doesn't control us. We are using technology to control each other. In the same way, you wouldn't blame electricity for murdering convicts under the death sentence or combustion contributing to the depletion of our ozone. The blame lies fully in the hands of the persons furthering or allowing the activities. I work as a programmer, and I've heard it said, quote, computers will never do anything a human didn't make them do, unquote. Whether it's a bug in the programming or something more directly sinister, computers and the internet are entirely at the whims of the humans who use them. Blaming technology is a scapegoat, as it has no will of its own, yet anyway. We have to consider ourselves accountable for how we spend our time, whether that's on the street, at our jobs, or on Reddit, Facebook, YouTube. Technology is just the latest branch of how we communicate as a society, and we must take ownership of both the good and the bad to have a chance of maintaining a thoughtful, polite, and progressive society. Over to Cole, I think that it's a bit of both when you ask if it's controlling us. I think people get addicted to certain things like their phones, etc. 
people rely on it for things, even survival, if they're in an emergency. There are ways we should, I hope so, have control, uh, as in eating with family on a date, spending quality time as well, because it just gets in the way. Some may not have control, some may. I think it really is 60-40. More people these days are addicted to their phones and electronics and living in the moment. I, I agree, you know, it definitely is a balance. I mean, I think, yes, they are admittedly an integral part of, of society and, and the world, right? But at the same time, yeah, there's certain things, I think, especially when it gets into your personal life, that... Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, unplug and, and at least direct your attention to what matters most. Over to Milan in England. People are zombies on their phones. They don't pay attention to their surroundings, and their survival instinct is completely off. People are so engrossed in their technology, they would die for it and endanger themselves by not paying attention to anything. The limitless part of the information has also gotten people so used to it that they <laughs> that they panic when it's suddenly off. As nice as it is, technology is starting to control us. I mean, that's the thing, you know. Google is a blessing. Google, Wikipedia, all of those wonderful resources are great. That if you have a question or a fact or something that you want to look up, it's as easy as just Google it. But, you know, before the internet, of course, you'd have to go down to the library, go and search for it in an encyclopedia. And you're not even guaranteed then that you would find whatever it is that you're looking for. So, of course, in those circumstances, it's an absolute blessing. And it allows for that sharing of information. But at the same time, if it was gone, I think so many of us would be clueless. I mean, even if I'm familiar with how it's done, it would be such a pain, right? To now, instead of just typing it in and getting the info five seconds later, spending at least tens of minutes trying to find this one fact. Going over to Courtney, she says, This is my answer to your question about technology and control. I believe that neither we control technology nor does techno technology control us. I believe that it is just part of the way we live life now. People like to blame technology for lots of problems, but it is not responsible for anything. Our way of life has changed and will continue to change for years to come. It is people who are stuck in the past that are convinced technology controls us. Ultimately, I am convinced that technology has been around since the dawn of time, and we have only just woken up to it in the last 50 years. Thank you for your viewpoint and comments, and I think that goes along the lines with what some other listeners are saying, perhaps the blame directly on technology to a degree is a scapegoat. But it may also come down to, well, what is the person exactly saying when they do blame technology? Is it their frustration with technology themselves, or the people who use it, you know, it's, that's the thing. Another water break. I'm trying to cut down on the editing today. Long, long day.
the long day. That's all I can say. Ivy, checking in, and we have uh, one more after this. I wanted to answer today's question by saying that I think technology really does control not only us, but our lives as well. I mean, if you think about it, most of the day is wasted because we spend hours upon hours on our phones and tablets. It's really become quite the problem these days, and who knows? One day in probably the year 3000 or so, just to give an example, technology might be the one thing that completely dominates our planet. Also, you have to take into consideration how some people have already come up with more advanced technology like robotics, self-driving cars, and haven't completely come out on the market yet, but are in development, you name it. It is sort of astounding if you think about how dependent we've become on our phones alone. Now, I know I've been surrounded by a number of people who wouldn't put down their phones just to engage in a meaningful conversation with me, even though I'm a shy person. Of course, there's always a brighter side to the situation, to where technology has its benefits in a number of ways. For instance, you can use a smartphone to get in touch with a loved one or friend by calling them, and that in itself isn't bad because it's a way to keep in touch with that person. Either way, I hope the email isn't too long. Just wanted to offer my thoughts. Your thoughts are very much appreciated. Thank you for sharing them. All viewpoints, always welcome on VORW. And uh, yes, I think it is definitely a double-edged sword where it does have that room for legitimate addiction. I think even clinically, that's a real thing. But at the same time, it has those good things as well. Like one of the things... Now, I, I myself used to be extremely anti-smartphone. But one thing that I am legitimately thankful for is the ability for communication, uh, to be able to talk to the ones that matter most to me and communicate more readily, especially in, uh, you know, definitely uncertain circumstances. If you're on the go, a lot going on, you know, even if you're... I think that, that um, I suppose I would say, advancement in communication really a big boost to things. Personal opinion. And finally, going over to Tim in Melbourne, Australia. He writes, I would have to say with confidence that technology is already ruling us in general, and that it will more than likely become more and more so. You may ask why technology has grasp on its users right now. That's because their creators and shareholders have a strong investment in the technology, and they'll do anything to ensure the usage and addiction to that particular product. I have to say that in the near future, it's going to be worrisome, as there is a very real chance that this technology or AI will start getting the better of us humans. It sounds like science fiction, but believe me, it's a real concern. Just listen to Elon Musk, for example, He's been warning people for years about the potential scenario with AI. Believe me or not, there is no doubt that AI has the potential in the very near future to make our lives difficult, whether it be to take over our jobs or eliminate us. That's my thoughts. Best regards. Thank you, Tim, over in Melbourne, Australia. AI, artificial intelligence, Look, one day it will gain sentience. I think it will. If we continue advancing it, it will one day. 
and it'll essentially be its own conscience organism capable of logical and, most importantly, critical thought. And we may very well one day lead ourselves into the trap, and that'll do away with us all. And you know what? We were we did this to ourselves, if that's what happens. I hate to put it in those those terms, but it's the truth. You know? It's not because of the AI. We were the ones that developed it. We've had people warning us about this for so long. And uh, that's where it is. So and that's not to say for sure if there would ever really be a robot revolution or any of that. But, I mean, who knows? You cannot predict the future. We don't know what's going to go on. I mean, there might be a nuclear war in 20, 20, 20 years, and that's it. And it's done. Or, <laughs> who knows, maybe we will gain all sorts of technologies for many, many, many years. Unimaginable. Be able to find... One thing I hope one day is that there would be better ways to travel the, the universe. I mean, what if there are things faster than the speed of light? And just our, our understanding of physics is just so rudimentary, we will we haven't even discovered it yet. Who's to say? We just don't know what is out there. And, uh, you know, you just don't know what the future holds. And speaking of, I don't even know where I was going with that transition, but that's all that I have for you today. The show is over, and uh, that's it. Any questions, comments, feedback, reception reports, topic suggestions, anything you want to talk about, always open, V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. Again, I don't know if I'm going to be doing a show next week, so if you do not see any uploads or anything, then that's the case. And if you listen in on the radio and you don't hear anything... Obviously, that won't be the show, and I'll just feed the music show in. So if you hear the music next week, then you know that, you know, there's no show. But we'll see what happens, and uh, no matter what, I'll be seeing you guys in the future, and uh, do take care. This is VORW International. Support the show. Please donate via PayPal, VORWINFO at gmail.com. We got five bucks last week, and that was it. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com via PayPal or via Patreon, patreon.com slash The Report of the Week. Thank you. Take care. I'm your host, The Report of the Week. This is V-O-R-W. Glowing Ice is a one-man music project that is best described as something called outcast pop. Pop music for unpopular people. Mixing distorted guitars, big electronic drums, synthesizers, and sound effects recorded from the real world, Glowing Ice's latest album, Sunshine Funtime, is something to experience. The topics of the songs from Sunshine Funtime range from The Afterlife, Gamer Girls, Songs on the Radio, Getting Married, and even Robbing a Bank. It's certainly out there, but with upbeat, playful EDM dance numbers like Eggplant Emoji, to the slow, thick synths and heavy industrial drums of slow motion in bed, there is something for everyone to enjoy. It's Sunshine Fun Time by Glowing Ice, available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and everywhere else. Music is sold and streamed online.